You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Staff Sergeant Nicholas Garner. Sergeant Garner is an instructor for the Urban Mobility Breachers Course, which is a part of the U.S. Army Engineering School in Fort Leonard, Missouri. Sergeant Garner, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on. Well, if you don't mind, what I usually ask guests to do is you give us a little bit of background uh, on your Army career and, and what you're doing now. Uh, I'm a 12 Bravo combat engineer. I enlisted in 2007 with the height of the surge. I've got three deployments uh, mostly focusing with route clearance, which is primarily what combat engineers have been doing for the last 20 years of warfare. Right now, I'm on Fort Leonard Wood. I'm a breaching instructor, as you said, and we teach students from all over the Army that with enough time, resources, and imagination, you can break into pretty much anything. Awesome. I really want to get into that because I'm a former infantryman, so I know very little but from watching the videos of this course and the fact that it has urban in the title, I get pretty excited. So I'm really excited about the conversation. I know the course has been around for a while. Do you know when it started? It started in its current form on Fort Leonard Wood in 2006. Before that, it was a joint course run primarily by the Marine Corps uh, with Army instructors also in Camp Lejeune. And that had run for a number of years. I'm not sure exactly when it started. So does the Marine Corps have its own version of the school? They do. It's no longer called UMBC. I believe there is, is called the Forestable Entry Operations Course. I don't know too much about that, except that the subject matter is very similar. But if you've worked with the Marines in the Army before, you know that we all do the same stuff, but a little different. Well, they took the word urban out of it, so then I'm not as concerned. But I'm really excited to learn about, because you know, I've written even articles go way back about the Army's need for urban warfare schools in general. And, and of course, I put this as one of the ones listed in our training system, ATARs, that was available to people, but I really don't know enough about it. So I'm hoping that me and the listeners can learn a little bit more. Can you tell us what is it, how long is it, who it trains, really those five W's of an exciting course? All right. So it's trained at Fort Leonard Wood, which is the home of the engineers. It's a two-week course and our primary audience I would say is sergeants. We usually have about 20 to 25 students per class, and most of them are sergeants or staff sergeants. We usually have one or two lieutenants. Occasionally, we'll get a captain in there, but the course is geared towards army leaders and kind of a train the trainer so they can take these skills back to their home station and give it to the troops that they work with every day. What MOS is? Is it, is it a wide variety? Is it mainly focused towards engineers? It is for and by engineers, so that is our primary focus. There are some other MOSs that we get through the school. We had a couple EOD cats come through on our last class, uh, which was actually really cool because those guys know demo very well. I mean, they're subject matter experts at demolition. They know a lot of stuff that we don't train on at all. But the tactical and urban demo piece that we teach was something that they never really had any hands on with. So we learned a little bit from them, and I hope that they learned a little bit from us. Hey, that's pretty exciting. So my w full visibility, my wife's an EOD lieutenant colonel, and she actually just talked to me about sending some of her personnel to the course that could have been hers, which is exciting, you know, small army. So two-week course, what are we learning? So there's different techniques that we teach. The UMBC, I teach two courses. One of them is a specialized deliberate breach course, but today we're talking about the urban mobility breachers course. And the difference is in UMBC, 
it's a breach that should take 30 seconds or less, just very fast ways to get into lighter doors or targets. And we do that with manual mechanical tools. We teach you how to get through a door with just a shotgun. We have thermal techniques where you use cutting rods to get through targets. And of course, everybody gets the most excited about the explosive part of the course. Yeah, I think, again, me for my ignorance as an old infantryman, but there's basically like four types of breaches. If I remember, I know mechanical is one, so that's using like a crowbar. And then there's ballistic. That's your shotguns. Yeah, shotguns. Explosive, so a wide variety of, of charges. And the fourth would be thermal, which is using fire to get through steel. So you're primarily breaching in urban that's great about the time difference. I, d- I didn't know that, you know, rapid, kind of rapid breaching. I mean, it's a 10-day course. There's got to be more to it than just blowing doors open. That's true, but there is a lot to learn about blowing doors open. We could easily spend 10 days on that. So if you break down those four categories, especially the explosive and the manual have a bunch of different tools and techniques you can use just within their own category. So there's a whole urban breaching kit that's just manual and mechanical tools. Everything from the difference between doors that open inward, doors that open outward, both take different techniques to use. And of course, the demo charges, there's eight charges that we teach. All of them take time to learn and build. But we don't just teach you how to build the charges and how to use the tools. A lot of it is the theory behind it. So there's a whole block of instruction on explosive theory where we have super slow motion videos. So you can see the shockwaves from blasts going through targets and how different things affect those shockwaves in different ways. Of course, there's some hands-on time. The majority of the course is outside, not a lot of time spent in the classroom, fortunately, but we have a team size FTX and a squad size FTX where we bring everybody in together at the very end. Usually the team size is the end of week one and the squad size will be the culminating exercise where we have both teams working in tandem to breach basically a mock village that we built. Nice. So we all love blowing doors open. What makes breaching in urban terrain different than other environments? So in urban terrain, as you know, you've got a 3D environment, you've got people above you and below you and behind you, you've got sewer systems and high rises to be concerned with. There's also more cover and concealment, generally speaking, in a city than there would be in a traditional battlefield environment. Also, the targets tend to be different when we're talking about that old Cold War style frontline engagement. First off, there is a clearly delineated frontline, you know where everybody is in theory. And also, the obstacles are just different. If I have to defend 100 miles of field, I'm going to string just 100 miles of wire obstacles, which are very different to breach than urban terrain where we've got doors and, you know, locking bars behind the doors and booby traps set up that way. I mean, as you know, it's a much different environment for any aspect of warfare when you go from a field to an urban situation. Yeah, of course. And I think you hit almost all of them, right? The 3D environment, The there could be civilians present. I appreciate that about the blast pressure and concerns about what's inside versus on the other side of the street, all of that. So you said the primary audience is engineers. So I'm imagining, and this is a train-to-trainer course, which is great. So they go back out to their units and they can replicate that training and train other engineers. In the overall scheme of an urban operation, though, is that combat engineer embedded in a maneuver squad, whether it's infantry or any any other element doing the operation as the subject matter expert for the breach, whether that's the exterior breach, interior breach, things like that? 
So there is a few ways the Army does it and a few more ways that they have done it in the past. My favorite way from my own experience is when I take an engineer squad or an engineer platoon we get attached to, usually an infantry company, sometimes a cavalry company, but we are just the engineers, subject matter experts, and usually if it's just a squad, as a squad leader, I'll sit in with the company level briefs on any kind of mission, and I'm the subject matter expert on any kind of obstacles or mobility or counter mobility, and I enjoy that. Right now, we're doing the brigade engineer battalion model where each brigade gets one battalion of engineer companies, and usually one or two of those companies will be sapper companies or one or two companies will have a sapper platoon inside of them, which is where you're going to get that urban breaching capability. Nice. So back to the breaching, I think I watched one of the promo videos, it's a little older now, of the Urban Mobility Breachers course. And something that I talk a lot about under different contexts of an urban operation, whether it's a permissible environment, a non-permissible environment, whether it's a single target raid, or you're doing a more of a counterterrorism operation where you know there's an HVT or somebody you want inside of a building, it still requires that breach. But one of the things I saw, which I don't see in other training areas, so I don't know if it's just this one, was the breaching of walls, right? So not going to a most likely enemy suspected entry point, but creating your own. I saw you guys practicing what it takes to breach concrete walls to create your own entry point and not go through more dangerous entry points. We do have a charge called the Concrete Fracture Charge, which is designed to get through concrete walls, and that works really well for what it is. We also have a smaller charge we call the Oval Charge, which just makes about a door-sized hole in a residential wall. So it's not just that exterior wall we can breach through. I mean, we can make a door wherever we want one from room to room and send a team in there. And like you said, it's great because they don't expect you to come from the wall. They expect you to come in the door. The downside is, you know, if anybody has a background in construction or if they've just seen a house being built, you know, that inside the wall, there's a number of obstacles like electricity, pipes, fiberglass. So not always your first choice, but always an option to consider. Yeah. So is that part of like the engineering recon that you do is a greater understanding of what the building construction is made of. I imagine shooting at a concrete wall that's reinforced with rebar, depending on what type of round you, and may cause some effects, may not. Is that part of the course? Is that ability to assess the building construction and then identify the right kind of breaching material? Yes, it is. We have a whole section on urban target analysis, and it just goes into how buildings are constructed, not just in the United States, but around the world, and clues you can get in order to help you determine the best point of entry on a breach, just in terms of trying to determine before you're on the target, how thick the wall is, what it's made of. And there's a lot of tools that the engineers have in their toolbox, everything from on-site analysis based on the breach squad's experience to just asking S2 how they build houses around here. Nice. I think that sometimes in a condensed planning scenario, I've found that level of terrain analysis, let's call it, in urban terrain everything from mobility concerns to that actual building construction, it gets sometimes overlooked because of the condensed planning cycle. Uh, Some of my favorite classes to teach are when we have a lot of National Guard soldiers in because those guys have like a whole other life outside the Army, right? And a lot of them do work concrete work or construction. So when I teach the urban target analysis class during those courses, we get a lot more interaction with students who know, honestly, a lot more about construction techniques than any of the instructors do. So we we hear a lot from them, and it's really great to see how they shoot a target. Just knowing what it's built out of really affects how you determine your point of entry. 
I find that extremely fascinating in different contexts. And, and I try to talk full spectrum of military operations. So I think there's been an over-reliance personally on counterterrorism tactics. So battle drill six in permissible environments, right? Being able to get up to the objective without as much threat versus a high intensity fight with known enemies. And that's what we've seen in kind of recent urban battles, battle Mawari, battle Mosul, where you're doing really explosive entries, sometimes direct firing artillery rounds into buildings to create your entry point and using a wide variety of expertise and resources you have available. Yes. Back on the construction. So, you know, I visited the Israeli Urban Warfare Training Center. They have basically a similar star hole in almost every exterior and interior wall so they can practice moving through urban terrain. So it's not necessarily a a skill set about entering a building to close with and destroy an enemy. They're actually moving through urban terrain to increase their survivability, not presenting themselves on the streets and alleyways. Most of the holes that I I saw on your guys' training site were a reusable hole, basically. You put wood, steel, whatever on one side of the hole, so that way you can punch through it either mechanically or explosively, but then you reuse the hole. Do you guys do any type of thinking about this? It is mobility, moving through walls as a maneuver tactic, let's say. So that kind of falls outside the purview of the course. And the reason is we have only 10 days to train everything we can train about this urban breaching environment. And as far as like room clearing or crossing streets, there's other courses devoted to that. And those courses themselves take at least two weeks. But as long as we can teach soldiers how to get into a room or building, then they can take that back to their home unit where, of course, every unit in the army already has their own urban movement SOPs developed. So they just apply those, you know, it's just one little piece of that urban fight. Yeah. And for me, if I'm a a commander out and I want to increase my skill set in urban mobility, of course, we're going to do a block construction about breaching. But once we start talking about interior breaching, I think it's an additional skill set, right? Because now you're talking about load bearing walls and things like that. So exterior wall assessment is different than I have to assume than interior wall assessment. That is true. And the biggest concern when you move breaching indoors is it really limits the amount of explosives you can do. So oftentimes, not just engineers, but especially the maneuver forces we support get very focused on the explosive entry piece of the pie, which is definitely the coolest looking, but it's not always appropriate for every situation, which is why we teach other techniques to breach. But with the overpressure from larger charges, you can really mess up your friendly units inside a building in ways that wouldn't happen if you were outside in open air. So that's our primary concern when we move inside. There's only very small charges that we'd use in there. That said, oftentimes, especially if you take into account the time it takes to determine what charge you'd need and build it and place it on the target, most of the time, interior breaching is quicker if you just pull out a battering ram or a halligan tool and just bust down the door. Yeah. And I actually have a a really great picture I I use sometimes of the second battle of Fallujah and his Marines punching a hole through an interior wall with a sledgehammer, basically creating a mouse hole, which is a common theme across urban warfare history about creating the ability to move through the walls. And most of the time I see them doing that mechanically. There's different merits to all the techniques we use. But mechanical is nice because you have just a set number of tools that you can carry with you on every mission. And they work in most scenarios. It might not be as fast on target as an explosive breach, but if you're good at it, 
for a lot of targets, it is just as fast or nearly as fast. And then you don't have to concern yourself with carrying a pocket full of blasting caps on one person and a charge to attach them to on another person. As far as that mouse hole goes, that's not a specific technique we teach in the course, but it's something we talk about. Like, you know what the easiest breach is, is if the door's unlocked and you can just turn the doorknob and walk in. Or maybe that's not the case, but instead of getting a man-sized hole through a target, what if you get an arm-sized hole through a door and then you can reach around and unlock it? That's just a time saver. Yeah, one of my favorite charges that I learned while I was in, it was actually a long time ago when I was in the Ranger Regiment, we called it the AT&T charge. So it was a very small crescent shaped charge just with deck cord put on the doorknob and the sole purpose was just to blow the doorknob off i I think we call that the c charge and it's one that we've dropped from our books because we found new charges that do the same effect with less deck cord used so now i'm just going to date myself what about the water impulse charge using two iv bags Oh boy. So we'd still do train that one. And one thing I love about the water impulse charge is every time I've been attached to an infantry company, they love that one. I don't know what it is about the water impulse charge that has just captured the army's imagination, but people go nuts about it. And I always brief them. The thing with the water impulse charge is it does use water to get the effect to go through the door. Water can't be compressed. So it tends to punch through things when you put force behind it. It works great, but it makes the ground very slippery. And every single time I brief that, and every single time that I've gone through with the tankers of the infantry, somebody slips on the water, which is hilarious. But obviously in a real breach in a combat situation, still funny, but it's a bad time. That's hilarious. I did not even think about that. I found it extremely useful as a go-to. One of the reasons I think because it's a simple build with personally a lot less expertise needed in how you wrap the deck cord inside the two bags and then tape them together. To me, it's it's a simple, fast, and powerful. Not only that, it's easy to resource because all the medics all through the army have a, a garbage bag full of expired IVs that they're just waiting to take to the dumpster. They're more than happy for you to get them off their hands. So I talk about this often as well as a few times that we get the chance to see the effects of our available resources on urban terrain. And you've clearly been to many basically urban breaching training events, right? So you set up the doors and you everything from a silhouette charge. Again, that's dating myself. We call it the oval charge now, but it's still a current charge. And you basically, you're out there experimenting and learning before real time, what the different charges do to the actual terrain. And I think the water impulse usually surprised people on how powerful it was, even against opening a steel door, depending on the different construction of the apparatus. Of the charges we teach in UMBC, that would be my go-to if I had to get a security door open. I think that one tends to work best. It's not my only option, but it'd be the first one I tried. Nice. Now you mentioned overpressure which makes me think about subterranean breaching. Now, I know at the Army, probably around 2018, a good friend of mine, that, which I've had on the show, Joe Vega, kind of an expert in underground warfare, went out part of an MTT and trained every brigade, and they had different variations of the underground warfare course. And one of them was a two-week engineering course about thermobaric breaching underground. And I'm assuming you just can't use explosive underground because of the overpressure. It's not that you can't, it's that there's a lot of extra considerations. You have to pull everybody and everything out of that tunnel before you use explosive in there. But like I said, even a small charge inside a room, rooms aren't airtight really above ground ever. So the pressure has somewhere to go, but underground, it just keeps going down that tunnel. 
Do you guys cover any subterranean breaching in the urban mobility breachers course? We do not. We do teach the specialized deliberate breachers course, which is the engineer regiment's current version of the underground terrain, but that's a whole different course. Okay. So how, when would thermobaric breaching be required? It is something we teach in UMBC. It's nice for getting through a padlock or any kind of metal. I'm not really going to go into details about the thermobaric though, but it is a tool that we teach engineers to use. Okay, great. I understand that. So this course has been going on for now almost decades, but from my understanding is the last course has already started and it will no longer be offered as an army training event that people can go to. Is that right? So in fact, the last course ended about two weeks ago. We were all pretty shocked by the news that they were canceling the course. The official word is they're tabling it and they might bring it back next fiscal year. But for fiscal year 2022, it's certainly off the books. That said, hopefully we've trained enough soldiers and given them the skill set that they can take it throughout the engineer regiment. I mentioned it once before, but the last 20 years of warfare, 412 Bravos anyway, has been really dominated by the route clearance fight. And that was a moneymaker of a mission. There were a lot of good reasons that the engineers were so focused on that during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. The downside is a lot of our other skills were weakened just because we spent so much time and energy on route clearance. Breaching is something that historically has always been what combat engineers were for. And it's nice to see us getting back to that as a regiment. I'm personally sad to see the course go away. Yeah, and I'm the urban warfare guy, and I'm I'm shocked that... Like you said, as we transition, that we don't think that urban will be a very dominant aspect of the environment in which we require some of these tasks that are more specialized than if they're in other terrain. And I don't even think it's that the Army doesn't think urban's going to be a piece. I think it just really comes down to we've trained so many soldiers. The course has been running for decades, like you said. The skills we teach in UMBC are specialized in the Army's terms, but for 12 Bravos, it's really kind of a basic thing. In fact, right across the street, we have 12 Bravo AIT. I go over there and guest instruct sometimes, and it's almost the same course, just on a more basic level. So that is a lot of the reason that we were told the course is getting shut down as we're training these people in basic training. We're hitting it again in ALC and SLC. So the skill set shouldn't go away just because the course does. Okay. That sounds good. I'm a big fan of courses like this, and there's a you know the special forces urban course, Safawik and Safaric Tech. I had a chance to attend the Ranger Regiment's breaching course just as kind of a guest student because I teach this course, and that was really a learning experience for me. Just the different tools they use, but not only that, the same tools they use differently. So I really took a lot away from that. A great group of guys down there too. We have many ways to maintain expertise in our military. And what I usually say, and we have a, an urban planner course coming up with the 40th ID in October, which is amazing, but there is a skill set which resides in our doctrine or resides in our training circulars, things like that, where you can go to, and that's one way, but actually these train to training courses, it's great. It's a shot in the arm throughout the army, but it's actually for me, individuals like you, because we know through learning that. If you can teach others, that's a different level of mastery of the skill sets. So it takes time to build those experts who become so good at the skill sets that they're able to teach and you learn through teaching. We know that this works. So 
I'm sad to see not just the course being offered, I get it, but the resident experts that having a course creates for the Army, who are then the go-tos for not just training, but experimentation, equipment, procurement, modernization, all this. And one of the things that we did in the course that you don't get in most demo ranges in the Army is we had what we call MacGyver Day, where here's the demo that you're given build whatever you think will work for whatever target you want to hit. And we'd see a lot of charges that were just very imaginative. We had, again, the National Guard people have civilian jobs and experience from that. So usually the night before MacGyver Day, they would go to Lowe's and come back with all sorts of stuff I'd never seen put in a charge before. For example, they used toilet wax to try and adhere the charge to the target. Side note, if you ever want to breach with toilet wax, it doesn't really work. But it was a good chance to see these experiments, find out what does and does not work. I've seen a hundred variations of the dip can charge. So that is, I mean, that's just something most demo ranges you have a set amount of charges that you're going to do. You're going to build them a specific way. It's all cleared through range control. and There's not a lot of deviation allowed. So things like that were just a learning experience for everyone involved. That's amazing. That level of experimentation and adaptation, but from a different starting point than somebody not an expert in already urban considerations is huge to me. Is Even I go out there training the events and I cut them differently than somebody learning them or who has to train for other environments. I don't, I study urban operations strictly. The toilet wax is interesting. It makes me think about the saving private rounding sticky bomb that is questionable. Right. Do you have your soldier's manual on you? I think that's what Tom Hanks said when he was pitching the sticky bomb was, you got your soldier's manual on you? No, we're fresh out. Well, you'd know how to make a sticky bomb. That actually makes me think of a lot of urban skill sets where we we even used to have warrior battle drills and tasks that had more urban. Well, I mean, as you know, the urban environment has expanded so much. Like, Look at your hometown where you grow up when you lived there to your hometown today. It's probably two or three times as many residents. And I think you're going to see that across so many cities in the army. I've talked to people who were stationed in Korea as a private and went back as a sergeant major. And they said, you know, the city used to end. There was breaks between the cities, but now the cities have just grown into each other. And I've seen that a lot of places in the United States. I think that we can't really lose focus on the urban fight just because the urban environment has gotten so large in terms of footprint. Yeah, you're singing my tune. That's the reason I have the show and I dig into it pretty good. But actually, you made me think of the other thing that we haven't talked about, which I, I know it's almost outside the scope. But since I have an expert in this topic, I often talk about basically the, not the combined arms breach, but urban mobility to me also means basically the ability to get to your objective, right? To traverse the urban terrain. We talked about going through buildings to reduce risk, but there is also what I don't see, although I see it in, in actual combat is the requirement to breach interior obstacles, right? Whether it's a bus pulled in front of a street four-way intersection or large amounts of rubble that always are present. Do you do any thinking about the specific requirements for interior mobility breaching requirements, as in large obstacles. You quickly mentioned it in the beginning, in the intro. It's something that fascinates me is you go out to combat training centers and you know, we really can only practice and we'll do a live one of the combined arms breach, right? A giant miklik going down on a wire mind obstacle, which is very important. And it's a very hard skill set. but I'm almost even more concerned about, okay, yeah, but you, now you're running into a giant pile of rubble in the middle of your way and you're trying to get to the objective. So we do talk about that in both the courses and depending on how big the target is, 
was how we determine if it's in one course or the other. But using your example of just a bus parked in a four-way intersection, that's something that would be hard for us to train on hands-on because you can't imagine every obstacle that the enemy is going to come up with. There's no way. But that is part of the reason we have that MacGyver day and the schoolhouse is set up in a way that, hey, if you got a tool you want to try, we've got an extra door. We'll let you try it, you know? But we harp on this a lot in the course, and I'll tell anybody who wants to listen to me talk about breaching, I mean, you're really limited by your imagination. If you've got the time and resources and you're willing to put in some manual labor, you can get into anything. Yeah, or breach any obstacle. It's all about, I think, time, right? How much time did you have to prepare? How much time do you have to clear the breach? Right. It's not always going to be fast. One time I was starting a breach uh, for a training event. In fact, I think it was the one you spoke about where they did the subterranean events, your friend. Yeah. Yeah. I was up there in J-Bear when they taught us that years ago. In any case, so I start this breach that I know is going to take 45 minutes. And I told the maneuver commander, I said, at least 45 minutes. And then I assess the target and I start the breach and I look over and there's a squad of infantrymen stacked up on the door. And I was like, you guys don't have to be right there right now. I mean, you can probably sit down for quite some time, maybe get some chow. (laughs) It's not always going to be fast, but it can always be done. And it's really just up to whoever's in charge of the operation. Is the juice worth the squeeze? If the engineers say they can get us in there in an hour and a half, do I want to spend an hour and a half waiting or do we have to find a way to bypass or mitigate that target? Yeah, exactly. I'm fascinated by it. The Miklik in the smaller version that we developed almost for Afghanistan mine clearing fascinates me as in what really resources do we have for large obstacle clearing inside urban terrain, right? You're not, if you fire a Miklik down a street, it is, and we've done it. I have cases of where people have fired it basically, and it gets hung up on the telephone wires, which is a concern of for its path of basically to laying it down. So you have to fire two charges. We have to fly one to clear the, the way of the, all the generator wires and telephone wire, you know, all the wires that are present in, in some urban environments. And then another one, and you're going to take out every window and along that street. Like, what are the other tools that we might have? Yeah, and then you've, you've cleared the road, but you may have made your own battleground a little more complicated for yourself. Absolutely. There are a lot of tools. And one of the things I like is when officers come through the course, because that PL is not going to be the one swinging the battering ram, but he will be the one briefing the battalion commander. So we always say, pay attention to the resources we use, because if you have to brief a maneuver commander or or a brigade level commander, you know, he's not going to come to me who's been doing it for 15 years. He's going to ask you and you need to have good and accurate answers, you know, really manage their expectations. I see it a lot where people give me a huge, hard to crack target and they think it's going to be a minute or two. And that's not always the case. Yeah. Don't get me started on EOD. Same thing. I'll get myself in trouble with the wife, but you have to have that level of analysis and listen to your experts and what it's going to take, how much time it's going to take, what the resources is going to take. I think that's a greater point. Well, Sergeant Gardner, I, I really appreciate your time. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm sad to hear that the course is ending. Excited to hear that there are experts like you out in our force training everybody in this specialized but important capability. Hey, thanks again for inviting me. I'm really glad to be here. I, I've said it before. I'll talk breaching all day. Nice. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of their participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. 
And be sure to check out MDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.